The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Attention sports fans. Are you a fan of an NFL team? Would you love to attend your favorite team's week one game? Well, you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice up to $5,000. The rules to enter are simple. Step one, go to contest.fansfirstsports.com. That's contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. Step two, find us on Facebook, Fans First Sports Network, and like our page. That's it. Once you've done that, you've officially been registered to win the four free tickets to any Week 1 NFL game. What are you waiting for? Go enter for your shot at seeing your favorite team in action. Contest ends on September 4th. Hello and welcome to one of the last episodes of the Top 25 Under 25. It's number three. It is Kirby Dak. And I'm joined, of course, by Anton Rossigord. Anton, yes. thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, in a, in a first-time thing, we are joined by an old managing editor for Eyes on the Price. And I know you're all going to say Mark has been on the podcast before, but it's not Mark. It's Andrew Berkshire, host of Game Over Montreal. It's uh, not really game over here. It's game on. Are you ready for that? Always ready, my friend. Always. And it's awesome to finally be on the show. Yeah, I think we heard you a little bit last year because Mark was recording at your place. So, yes, they, that's they, right. came some some notes or w- w- theater whispers, as we say in Swedish, into into yeah. the podcast. You're obviously game over Montreal. Are you doing anything spectacular this summer with it, or or are you uh, focusing more on the season? Well, I, I also manage the Game Over brand for SDPN, so we're in every Canadian market for hockey. Um, we're not expanding this year, but we'll probably bring back our international shows covering the, the World Juniors, things like that. We might cover World Championships this year, too. It depends on what we can do, what what our uh, our staff allows us to do, essentially, like how, how big our staff is at that point. Uh, lots of stuff to do with that. We have Game Over Pro Wrestling that goes after WWE main events. We're trying that out to do more consistently this year. So that will be fun as well. We might expand into like AEW, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, my summers are preparing for next season, booking guests for 82 different spots, and then uh, lots of chatting with Mark uh, Dumont, who's my co-host on the show, about what we want to do specifically with Game Over Montreal and preparing the other hosts in other markets yeah and uh, you know well juniors down the road from where i live we can even record uh, together andrew if you come over hey that would be fun i don't know if i can manage that just because the young family that i have leaving over christmas i think <laughs> would get me in a little bit of trouble just but, a little bit uh, it would 
it would be really fun. The thing is, if I could afford to bring the whole family, now that I would love to do. And then we could, our families could meet Patrick and we could have some dinners. That'd be really fun. Yeah, but, that, that, uh, That's probably a couple years away, I would say. Uh, well, that's good because I think we already booked uh, Hotel Bexel here for, for, for the World Juniors. <laughs> uh, we're not here to talk about the World Juniors. He's shown in, in uh, World Juniors a couple of years ago, though. Uh, we're here to talk about Kirby Dock. His highest vote was actually by me at number two. And uh, I can say that, that I was twisting and turning about where to put Cole Caulfield uh, and Kirby Dak. And in the end, I went with the center higher. Uh, I know a 50-point goal scorer is also very tough to get on the trade market. So, But in the end, it was an even, even race for me, more or less. And in the end, it came down to a coin toss. Um, lowest vote was number seven with Jared and Matt. Yes. I think that. Uh, wow, uh, which which I think is a little bit low, but they're not here, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> no, no, but actually, it's kind of fun if we count us four regulars on the podcast. It's Jared, Matt, you, and me, and me, Jared, and Matt were all the three low votes on Doc, and you were the high votes. So it's perfect. It's perfect in that regard. So why did you vote rank him that low then? Well, I ranked him at fifth uh, because I, I, as much as I liked Kirby Doc's first season with with the Canadians, I see higher upside in some of the other players uh, on the team and in the organization. I had, um, I, w- I was also debating whether to put him maybe at fourth or um, or uh, ending up um, putting him even at third place. But I went uh, with a couple of other players. Uh, Kaden Gouli at three and Juraj Slavkovsky at four. And uh, I see Kirby Doc as a clear, you know, the number two guy to, to Nick Suzuki's number one, um, which I hope that he can really become a, a good uh, second pivot, um, David Krejci kind of guy, uh, as he was in Boston for many years. Um, we'll see if he can live up to those expectations. Uh, those are pretty lofty. Um, but um it was very promising to see how how quickly he fit in with the Canadians organization after having a tough time uh, during the latter two years in in Chicago. Andrew, I know if I don't know if you did actually vote and and used your acronym Jerkshire as as name or or <laughs> if you uh, uh, but if, if you did just a random top ten, where would you I put did that? not. I did not vote uh, with my my own name or or any nicknames. Uh, top ten. I mean, I, I wish I put some thought into it. Um, I I think I still might have Nick Suzuki at number one just because of his versatility and what he's shown. I think the trouble with Nick Suzuki is he's clearly one not one of those guys who can play top minutes and run a line on his own uh, without any support, like a, a superstar center, right? He, he's a guy who needs the right line mates to play those top line minutes and be successful at the same time. And the Canadians currently don't have that. So I think the top echelon here is lower than where a lot of people want to uh, put the Canadians. They they still need some major talent at the top end to, to finish their rebuild here. But uh, I would have Suzuki, probably Caulfield. Uh, you just can't find guys with 50 goal potential very easily. Uh, after that, I would probably have Kirby Doc. Number four, Reinbacher. Five, Hudson. And the only reason why I have Hudson below Reinbacher 
is because uh, Reinbacher will get more opportunities to continue to develop uh, and be the player that he can max out at than Hudson will. Hudson will have to be perfect everywhere along his development curve in order to maintain his status and continue developing as a impact NHLer. And after that, I don't want to even rank the next five, but it's got to be a combination of, you know, Gooley, Slavkovsky. I'm trying to think of like other rosters in the system that's point. I'm just kind of yeah. blanking because Alex it's Newhook, the middle of the maybe. summer. Is Newhook under 25? I guess so. Just yeah. barely. He, he's yeah. Well, he's the I same. He, he's the same age as Cole Caulfield. So he's only 22. You're right. Okay. So I think he has to be in that conversation as well, just by the fact that he's already an NHLer, right? Yeah. So you'd have to put him ahead of guys, even like Justin Barron, who are, who's in the NHL, but we don't know what his potential is going to be. I think Newhook's had a longer NHL career so far than Barron. So mm-hmm. th- those kinds of players anyway, the Canadians have so many players in that range that I feel like five to even 15, you're going to have, I don't know how your votes went, but it seems to me there'd be wild variation, right? Because there's some people who would really value lesser knowns like Joshua Waugh. And there's some people who more value Alex Newhook, who's already proved that he can play in the NHL. Riley Kidney, a guy who has incredible offense, who took a way bigger step last year than people believe from his numbers. If you talk to actual scouts, he went from a perimeter player who just scored in junior ways because he could to a player who now drives the net and creates offense in a sustainable way that can translate to the NHL. He's a good prospect. It's tough in that uh, six through 15 area. I think I can tell you it was also very tough from the 15 to the 30 area. <laughs> I can imagine. Hey, I didn't even mention Adam Engstrom, who, yeah. you know, I, I had a high opinion of, but after seeing him at development camp, my goodness, what I would sacrifice to be able to skate like Adam Engstrom <laughs> and his decision-making. I, I know I'm speaking you that to about you, Patrick, you love Jacob it. Jacob Rose, uh, right? <laughs> you know, Jacob Rose, great skater. Yeah. Not He doesn't have the brain that Engstrom has, though, I don't think. No, no, no. And, and Just... Uh, yeah, just to reiterate about what you said, Andrew, um, we had one staff member that ranked Joshua Roy at fourth. We had one staff member that had David Reinbacher at fourth. We had three staff members that had Lane Hudson at three. So it was really tough to distinguish between those spaces, just as you said. Yeah, it's a very deep system. The thing is also that you got uh, Doc coming in with an average of 3.9. He's the clear yeah. number three on the list. And he is ranked number four in the, in the rankings. He's closer to number five at five point one than he is at number two, which is one point nine. So, so there is, you know, he's in a layer of his own on, on that yeah. cake that is the Canadian system. Uh, we got him through through a trade that included draft picks, and I'm not going to mention who they become and and which other teams that took it, but. Also, Alexander Romanov, are you happy with that trade looking back? Oh, absolutely. I, I love that trade. I think there are people who can look at uh, Frank Nazar, who the Blackhawks took, and think like, oh, maybe he'll be better than Doc. But I, I can't even look at it that way because to me, that happened so quickly that yes, that asset did belong to the Montreal Canadiens. But what they essentially did is a three-way trade where they gave up Alex Romanov and I believe a third-round pick and got Kirby Doc. And that's just not a lot to sacrifice for a player of Kirby Doc's stature. So I don't even 
like the the draft pick in that specific trade doesn't even enter the conversation for me it it did move but like not in any real way if you understand what i mean yeah yeah no and and um, i think i think you know we've seen romanov still play very well in 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 islanders but it's another system maybe suiting him a little bit better as a defensive minded uh, defender and and where he gets to shine on that I always thought that Montreal overvalued his offensive output and fans, especially after World Juniors, whereas that was not how he was used in Seska. Looking, though, dark this season, 58 games injured as well, uh, 38 points, 14 goals, 24 assists. I only remember the goal against Chicago in Chicago. So that's that's what I can say. But but you following the Canadians as close as you are and, and having a podcast after every game, What's your opinion on on Kirby Dak this season? For Kirby Dak, I see his season went in several stages. Um, at the beginning of the season, he looked good. Couldn't win a faceoff, of course. That's still a skill that he's struggling with. But he looked good. The production was not great. He was kind of the only guy outside of the top line at the time, which was Suzuki, Caulfield, and whoever. Uh, he was the only guy who was really scoring. But there was a lot of questions about whether or not he could play center because of the face-off thing. So he gets bumped onto the top line. All of a sudden he goes from looking good, looking comfortable to, Oh, okay. He can make plays for these guys. Now he's on the top power play unit. He's looking like he can produce a decent amount of points, but he doesn't really score much. Then you've got the last third of the season that he played where all of a sudden he's got that scoring touch. He's putting pucks into the net, going to the tough spots, uh, using his body, it's like this constant progression throughout last season for Kirby Doc, all of which were kind of beyond the initial expectations where people thought that he was going to be a bit of a project, really struggled in Chicago. You know, Chicago fans all season or all off season last year were talking to me, whether in, in public or in DMs, like, listen, this guy is terrible. You're going to hate him. He's going to be super frustrating. But every step along the way, I thought Kirby Doc continued to step up whether he was played with playing with poor line mates or good line mates, he was driving play. He was creating scoring opportunities. His defensive numbers on a team that can't defend are actually spectacular. Now he wasn't put in a position to face top end competition really outside of when he was with Suzuki and Caulfield. And, you know, then you're playing with the best players. You can't really complain, but overall I look at it as a guy who's developing pretty much perfectly for the role that you guys had mentioned which is that second pivot, you know, David Krejci mold. I think he's got a more physicality to him than Krejci does. His puck protection, I would put in the top 10 of the NHL. Like he's just so strong along the boards and he's only going to get stronger. And I love that his attitude after the season was basically, this is just the first step for him. There's more work to do. Now at his age, it's unlikely that we're going to see like a huge push upwards but because his development was stalled in chicago we could probably see another pretty solid step for kirby doc and i i expect him to be a 55 to 65 point player for the next 10 ish years that's the kind of player that i expect him to be with maybe not your top end penalty killer or your top end defensive matchup player but a guy who consistently gets above average defensive results against the middle of teams lineups in order to see that change and, and development, really, 
you mentioned obviously, and we all mention it when we see the stats and when we see the games, the face-off. Is that included, or do you think you can become that pivot and and maybe have a good centerman winger to work with if you take someone like just out top of my head because I'm a Euro guy, Kapanen that that is pretty good in the face-off circle, already doing it in in a pro league against men, and and uh, maybe helping him dark out and and have him as a second face-off guy rather than a first in traditional century setting? Yeah, I don't know if they're so worried about it that they're going to have him not take face-offs. I think they, they give him time. I think we saw them give Suzuki time. It's been a slow roll for him for face-offs. Uh, this year, he started out really, really well, and I think he still finished the year like at or just below 50% on face-offs. But you know, he's taking the most important face-offs of every single game, 82 games. The guy doesn't miss games every situation so i think what we'll probably see is doc will play wing in those situations very unlikely that he'll be the first person lining up for a face-off where the face-off is really important that'll limit his versatility in some situations right like if you have a key penalty kill he probably isn't going to start off the penalty kill at center because that's a situation that really a one face-off matters a lot. So you don't want to go from a 51% chance to a, a 40% chance or a 39% chance. But overall, I think face-offs, as far as their importance, are pretty overrated. I kind of categorize them as a loose puck recovery, which is something that can happen all over the ice and happens, I think, around a 1,000 times per game or maybe slightly more. So compare that to the number of face-offs and like, it's just one kind of puck battle and there are thousands of puck battles every game. So even if you're giving up that first couple seconds of possession, you can win that puck back pretty quickly. And if you consistently do that and you're, you're still driving play, still scoring, your numbers are still good. I don't think a modern coach would care too much about that. It's just those specific situations. Do you see him falling down the lineup? We got, as I mentioned, Kapanen, we got Beck, we got uh, other centers coming up as well. Uh, can you see Dach falling from, I shouldn't say grace, but, you know, maybe falling down the lineup? Or, or do you think he's solidified into to that number two spot already? Yeah, I mean, I saw two situations where the Canadians could drop Dach down the lineup. One was if they acquired Pierre-Luc Dubois in the offseason, if they had won that trade somehow, which I think people would not be very happy about considering how much LA spent on him. Uh, Winnipeg did well to manipulate that situation to their power because they had almost no leverage whatsoever. So they got a really good trade out of that. I think most people are glad the Canadians didn't bite. That would probably drop Doc down temporarily at least. I know uh, Dubois isn't that much older than doc i think he's like one or two years older so it's not like doc has this huge runway to become better than dubois but i don't think he's got as far to go to be better than dubois than a lot of people do they're actually very comparable last season in a lot of different ways but doc's better defensively so there's that that could have bumped him down the other is if the canadians draft a franchise level center a, a Connor bedard type uh someone in the next draft here that could bump him down but internally right now at the moment i think there's a very very small chance that any center in the system has the tools and the brains and the the physical stature 
to bump Kirby Doc down the lineup. I, I think he just has this combination that's really enticing for the entire organization. And because he's very different in size and the way he creates to Nick Suzuki, that also makes him an ideal number two because you're going to have one line that comes at you one way, which is that Caulfield uh, Suzuki shark situation where they're trying to pounce on mistakes. And then you have the next line. As soon as you're used to that, that plays a totally different style of offensive hockey where it's all hard nose to the boards, take the puck off the wall, drive the net, that kind of stuff. And that, that just creates an ideal scenario for team building as well. A lot of people have said that Owen Beck would be the ideal uh, number three center for many NHL teams. That's why he was coveted uh, in the draft as well. The thing is, though, if you have Nick Suzuki as your number one, Kirby Doc as your number two, Owen Beck, Beck as your number three, and maybe a Jake Evans as your number four, is that good enough to actually get somewhere? Or is that only good enough to become that bubble team that Montreal already was with Carey Price for so many years? That is a fantastic question. And it's honestly something that I've been looking at over the last year and thinking, like, is this team built in a way that if you get enough high-end talent on the wing, the center line is good enough to carry you through because of depth more than high-end talent. And I'm not sure. I think we fall into a trap often in hockey where we talk about this team did it this way and like these few teams that won Stanley Cups have these things in common and we decide, well, therefore, it can't be done another way. Right. And I think teams do that a lot of times when they're copying whoever won the last championship. Right. Like we've seen it all the way back to like 2007 when the Ducks won. And then a bunch of teams were like, okay, we got to beat everyone else up. And then that didn't really work. So they shifted to like the Chicago Blackhawks being this crazy possession team that took a lot of chances offensively at the same time. And then that worked really well, but then the LA Kings came out and they were, they were going to beat you up again, but also they never ever let you touch the puck and everything is low danger. They shoot only from the perimeter and recover all the pucks. You can never penetrate the front of their net, get pucks through the slot. So it's this stifling defensive, uncreative system that worked and people copied that. So I think anytime you get caught in that trap, it's a bad thing, but you do need superstars somewhere to break through to to kind of find a way through teams like the Montreal Canadiens of 2021 right why do we criticize the Toronto Maple Leafs big stars so much in the playoffs it's because it's their job to take a team that's doing it through effort and defense and destroy those systems with elite play and they haven't been able to do that so if you don't have any of those players it is hard to break yourself out of those situations but is that something that limits you in one specific year or is it going to limit you for an entire cup window? And it's hard to really predict that if they ended up having, you know, two more goal scorers who can put the puck in the net, like Caulfield, I don't think we're talking about their center line too much, but I do think for this to work, Owen Beck or whoever slots in at that third, third center needs to be just a share, like a, a very slight amount less good than Kirby Doc, right? It's just like Kirby Doc needs to get right to where Nick Suzuki is. Nick Suzuki needs to get a little bit higher and everything has to be like, the drop down has to be very slight between the first three and then your fourth line can be a little bit bigger of a drop. But I think the Canadians essentially need to have three 
very good scoring lines if they don't have a superstar center and that might be tough to build and develop i don't i'm I'm not sure i think they're trying to do something that hasn't been done frankly yeah i think you're also forgetting that lane hudson is gonna put up 100 points from the blue line so. that's also true right yeah. like lane hudson could be that superstar that changes things in a different way the kale mccarr that make that the straw that stirs the drink right it it could open up new avenues for goal scoring for every other player. Like would Nathan McKinnon be who he is right now without Kale McCarr? I think you could argue that he wasn't this good before Kale McCarr made the NHL. We'll take a quick break to uh, listen to some of our sponsors. Please lower the volume. We don't want you to drive off a cliff to fall on the tracks from a platform in London underground or anything else that might disrupt your day. And we'll be going right back into our conversations with Andrew Berkshire. And then we see it in Europe in, in, in hockey a little bit where, I mean, jokingly, we say we play four lines. But there have been championship teams in, in Europe that has played with these very small drops between first, second, third and fourth line even. where And then you have the other school that drives this maybe more North American hockey where it's two really good lines and two defensive-minded lines. Uh, so, so yeah, if you can take one and apply it and, and see that it's worked somewhere and do it your own version, because that is how you're going to get better. Looking at back to Dach and, 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 and everything, what do you think is realistic expectations to have on Kirby Dach this season? Saying he will be injury-free then. I was, this is the first thing I was going to say is you hope, you hope no injuries, right? Because the Canadians have dealt with their fair share and times five the last couple of years here. I think for Kirby Doc, it it really depends on team growth, right? Because you want to see production. Like for me, more than anything, I want to see a consistent repeat of the uh, positive inputs from last year. I want to see him continue to be really strong defensively. I, I want to see him continue to work well with a variety of different line mates if necessary. I want to see him continue to look really strong on the power play, especially uh, those four on threes that I thought he was really dominant on last year, uh, still play well in overtime, all those things to still be present with a slight uptick in production. But a lot of that's going to depend on, can the Canadians get a functioning power play? I don't think that that power. Well, we said that for the last, what, 30 years, right? Maybe longer. And that, that's why I think it's not on the players, right? Organizationally, the philosophy on the power play needs to change, whether that's hiring somebody else in to fix it. I don't know. But something needs to change there. They have enough good players to make a functioning power play. Like it, it really should not be <laughs> this painful. I know they don't have like a true power play quarterback, but still. Oh well, he's coming up. We know that it's going to. Yeah, be Chris up. Weidman is coming up. <laughs> but, he's, but there you go. But yeah. I think it's also like we see in Washington has built with a very very good passer. They have built a power play on on getting the puck to Ovechkin that is not moving yep. two centimeters from from the dot in in the circle really, and and arguably one of the best shots in the world. And and Cole Caulfield is not far behind. Yeah, and also you have Nick on the other side who's really good yep. at just slotting in, and you don't know if it's going to pass or shoot, and he has a really really quick wrister. So, and then if Monahan continues to play well and actually play, he uh, he did some stuff as well. So. He's great in that front presence. Exactly. Looking though, you you mentioned lines and and line mates, Andrew. Would you put Slav with Dach this year? Would you move him up that 
fast Slavkovsky or would you maybe uh, do you think those two big guys would work what I had it I kind of like wrote down just as an exercise for myself how I would start the season and I don't think this is going to be how the Canadians start the season predicting doesn't mean that you're smart enough or, or would work in that situation but I, I think this is not going to be how they started just because the, there are things that they value that I don't. Uh, so I would start Harvey Pinard on the top line with Suzuki and Caulfield. I really liked how he played last year in a really tough role with Suzuki uh, without Caulfield against top lines. They actually had positive differentials. So that's good. Add Caulfield to that. Rip it up. Second line, I would. they said they were going to start a new hook on the second line. So I put him with Doc and Anderson just reward Anderson to start out the season for the progress he made last year and then keep some pressure off Slavkovsky, put him with Hoffman and Monaghan. Uh, he commented last year that Monaghan slowed down the game for him a little bit. And I think that is important for Slav's uh, continued adjustment to North American ice. I know that this is something that uh, people dog on all the time, but it is a big adjustment for a player who's also like finding his sea legs. He's got that big player, lanky, like, baby deer stuff going on sometimes and maybe he won't this year because he's another year stronger i know he's uh done some crazy training over the summer but i i think he needs someone to to play the game at a little bit of a slower pace and monahan does that hoffman does that and hoffman's improvement last year i think gets really a lot less play than it should he went from a guy who could not be trusted at any point at five on five defensively to a guy who was actually chipping in defensively and yeah his offense is not great compared to what it used to be but he can still fire that laser shot once in a while he's just not a point man on the power play and <laughs> need to stop experimenting with that and then the fourth line is whoever right uh, gallagher obviously is there but gallagher is an x factor he might move other guys down the lineup or he might not be playing at all with all the injuries he always seems to have. Interesting take at this point when, when we're recording this. We've had an article out about Slavkovsky's summer training with the coach. And, and he pinpoints that, you know, small changes at this level makes huge impact. And, and it seems like Slavkovsky's eight months in Europe with, with you know, out of the limelight a little bit has, has made a really good impact on him. I'm looking forward to him. I'm also looking forward to that. I, I wouldn't be surprised to have Newhook on, on the first line with Suzuki and Cowfield. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. either. Yeah, I, I, th I can see that happening. And uh, then obviously Anderson, Doc, and, and maybe Slavkovsky for a giant line to, to yeah, really... Yeah, very giant, yeah. Yeah, to, to yeah. really... If, if Slavkovsky can keep up there, you know, that could be something that really manhandles the other, the opposing team quite well. Well, I, I think I expect Slavkovsky to be on the second line by the end of the season. I, I think that he he's a lot better than what people want to believe after last year. I think people ignored a lot of the progress that he made with the Canadians coaching staff, uh, with their skills uh, staff. And obviously this summer, he, you know, people talk about la this current year, 2023, being a great draft at the top. And I think that uh, it's obviously a small sample size, but we talk a lot about like the world championship stuff like that and people overrating Slavkovsky because of his performance there. But look what he did there compared to some of the top draft picks this year. He outproduced Carlson. He outproduced Fantilli. Yes. In a bigger role for sure. But he's also, they weren't playing against Canada, <laughs> you know, and, and Sweden, he, every team that Slovakia faces is a team that's, for the most part, better than them. They're in that like lower end of the top tier teams. So 
it's a tougher challenge as well to play on those top lines. So I, I think Slavkovsky has a lot higher of a potential than people believe. Slavkovsky also played against Russia. There you go, for sure. Like I think that he's going to end up there. I think if the Canadians really want to, you know, put a line out there once in a while that can cause some ruckus and that's hard to match up against, they could put Doc Monahan and Slavkovsky together, or Doc Anderson and Slavkovsky. Throw those guys out there and just tell them to forecheck. You're going to make a lot of teams upset. <laughs> well, they're there to win, not to not to. Uh you know, appreciate other teams. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, yes. it, it's also so easy to forget, like, when you're coming into the league as an 18-year-old, how many players actually make a huge impact from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, Corner McDavid is obviously one, Austin Matthews is another, but it's difficult for a lot of players. We've seen players like uh, Lafreniere struggle from the start. We really saw Shane Wright struggle from the start last year. I mean, out of the all of the players who were drafted last year, we have only five players who have played in the NHL at least one game. Uh, it's Marco Kasperi played one game, David Jiricek played four, Shane Wright played eight, Owen Beck played one, and Juraj Slavkovsky played 39. So the Casper played his at the end of the season when everything was done and decided anyway. Yeah, of course, but right. it's only five players out of yeah. how many were drafted in total. It was 225. Yeah. So just the fact that he was actually there uh, and competing and actually making a few points and, and creating something and knowing what to expect for this season, I mean, that's going to be huge for him. 100%. And also having, you know, he had the World Juniors for two games or what was it last year he had the world championships the the draft with all that that encounters with you know he didn't have a summer break i actually no. think that this eight months that he was left out of hockey or or playing hockey practicing hockey is another thing but playing hockey was really really good for him his recovery going to a specialist coach that one shows that you want to learn you want to improve. yeah the attitude is great going back to Dach. Do, do you want to give a, a, a sort of, you, you said the opening night, but what can we expect maybe from, you know, end of the season point-wise? Do you think he will improve? What was it a point, point five five point per game average? And Yeah, I mean, I think his production will improve, but I, I think a lot of that improvement is going to be down to team improvement more than like the doc at the end of the season or the end of his season was a very, very good player. And if he's just that player for all of next season, he'll score more points. You know, like he doesn't necessarily have to take a step. So if he takes a step further than that, you know, he, he could easily, easily be a 60 point guy. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all, especially if he's getting top line minutes in the power play unit. If the power play is somewhat efficient even like 20th in the league instead of like 31st or whatever they they were i thought we were 35th of 32 teams it felt like it most <laughs> nights didn't it patrick yeah it, it felt like that as i said so, since i was starting out hanging out with uh, with you guys at eyes on the price and what was it 2012 i think or something like that um, yeah. but yeah uh, you've been listening to absent minded top 25 under 25 we have a fantastic guest. You were the one that actually plugged me into to Eyes on the Price, the core at least. Uh, Andrew Berkshire of Game Over Montreal. You know you get the game show directly after 
the game with Andrew, and then you got bottom six minutes with Matt. It's PGA team with Matt, so be, fair, be prepared for that <laughs> when you wake up in the morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. It's it's a pleasure having you on, and uh, looking forward to some more collaboration down the line. No, it's it's really nice. Honestly, it's the first time I've talked hockey since June, so it's been, <laughs> been nice to chat with you both. I'm Tom. Thank you. 